This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We welcome you to this uh, pre-election edition of Real Talk. On Friday, come Monday, you know if you've been paying even the tiniest bit of attention to politics across the country, to the headlines, you know that Albertans are going to be heading to the polls en masse Monday to send a very clear message to one another and to the rest of Canada. This is who our premier will be. This is who will form government. Now, here's the thing. Some Albertans still haven't decided which way they're going to vote, which blows my mind right now. I, I just feel like it's one of those elections where a lot of folks have had their flags planted early, and we've seen a lot of passionate back and forth warring, if you will. And we're going to talk about this in just a second with our Real Talk roundtable panelists. But I'll tell you this, if you're still humming and hawing, if you're still making up your mind, if you're still not quite sure whether you're going to vote for let's say, the environment or the economy. And quite frankly, you don't appreciate that you feel pushed into a corner like you've got to make a choice between the two. This Real Talk Roundtable is for you. By the end of this hour's conversation with our three experts, journalist Drew Anderson, economist Dr. Trevor Toom, and Alberta Chambers of Commerce CEO Shauna Feth, we believe you will vote informed in fact, the mandate for today's Real Talk Roundtable is to inform your vote. Now, before we talk politics, before we get into this, I wanted to let you know there's been big news in the Canadian cannabis sector this week. And I don't know if you've been paying attention to this. A lot of us have been hearing rumblings that some provinces and municipalities may soon approve regulated cannabis consumption sites. Now, that means that soon enough, you might go to a restaurant and find cannabis-infused food and beverages on the menu. Well, in advance of those regulated consumption sites, two companies based right here in Edmonton, in our home city, are developing a first-of-its-kind training program for cannabis servers in the food and beverage space. How cool is that? We Know Training and Diplomat Consulting are partnering with CanCell, that's Ontario's cannabis retail training body, to develop and deliver a cannabis service training program. They made the announcement this week, as a matter of fact, just hours ago, in advance of the Grow Up conference that's being hosted in Edmonton this weekend. If you're at that conference, make sure you stop by booth 608 to visit the We Know training team and learn more about the new program that's in development as we speak. Of course, you can also learn more about the program and We Know training online by visiting our proud partners at weknowtraining.ca. This is being described as uh, potentially the most contested, the most hotly contested election in Alberta's history. Our three panelists today are going to, we believe, give you the information that you need to make an informed choice on who you'll be voting for. We have intentionally asked three experts in their own spaces to make time for us to to participate in a conversation that's just going to breathe. There's going to be some back and forth. There's going to be some audience interaction. We're going to be talking about energy, the environment, the economy, 
Let's get right to it. Drew Anderson is a journalist with The Narwhal. He's recently authored a piece at thenarwhal.ca, Alberta Election 2023, a guide to NDP and UCP positions on 10 key energy and environment issues. We're going to dig into it. Dr. Trevor Toom is arguably the most trusted voice on economics in the province of Alberta, a professor of economics out of the University of Calgary. And Shauna Feth is the president and CEO of the nonpartisan Alberta Chambers of Commerce. We're going to be running some ideas past Shauna with regards to the business impact of some of the policies that both parties have proposed. Drew, we're grateful to have you joining us this morning. Your piece leads off the Alberta election campaign has so far been short on policy and long on controversy. It hasn't always been party platforms that have dominated the headlines over the last month or so, to say the very least. Absolutely. And I think it's actually worth noting that there aren't any real party platforms. There are uh, basically the equivalent of blog posts going up um, from both of the parties. We haven't seen those sort of platform booklets that we've seen in the past. And we haven't seen the kind of details that, you know, does help to inform your vote. Okay, well, I'm going to invite the three of you to interact with one another. Feel free to challenge what each other says. Feel free to jump in on me and, and even dictate the course of the conversation. Uh, Drew, you talk about the lack of substance. You say it's particularly stark when it comes to environmental and climate change policies. Uh, we had a barn burner of, of an interview yesterday with the, the Green Party of Alberta leader, Jordan Wilkie, who was lamenting the fact that, you know, despite that, you know, half of the province being on fire right now with wildfires, nobody's really talking about policy relating to that. Shauna, I could see you nodding your head when Drew was talking about the fact that there hasn't been a lot of focus on the platforms. Take us into this through a business lens. Yeah, so just absolutely agree with Drew that there's been there's a lot of ideology around some of the the announcements that have been made, but there's not a lot of substance in terms of what what is actually going to be the impact or what is going to what is that policy going to look like. Um, you know, some of the commitments aren't making, they don't make for good governance. And we need to really be thinking about from a business perspective, how is that going to impact down the road? Um, what our economy looks like and what does that mean to our business community, but also the community at large in terms of, you know, when we know, we know when we have good business policy, when we have a good competitive market, we have a good province bottom line, and that's just good for everybody. Trevor, I, I'm looking forward to, to you, you taking us all by the hand and leading us into this forest, examining all the specific trees and, and trying to understand the impact of some of these policies that have been proposed. Uh, just yesterday, NDP leader Rachel Notley said that she believes that their proposal to increase the corporate tax rate from the current 8% to 11% will bring some stability to the province. Can, can you give us your informed analysis of, of what Weaking, whether it's raising or lowering a corporate tax rate can do to the economy, big picture in a province like Alberta? Sure, happy to. So changing the corporate tax rate, like basically any policy choice that any government rolls out is going to come with trade-offs. It's going to come with pros and it's going to come with cons. And I think with respect to increasing the corporate tax rate from 8 to 11 percent, you know, on the one hand, that will have the effect of increasing government revenue. I think a little bit less than what the NDP uh, anticipates it will bring in because there are some negative offsetting 
uh, effects of that. But that revenue can be used for different spending initiatives that come with benefits, educational spending, post-secondary, accelerating affordable childcare, for example. So that's that's what they're doing. And it needs to be viewed in that way, like the cost to um, business from increasing that corporate tax rate, but the benefits of the different initiatives that they want to put those dollars towards and making that trade-off is the, the tough thing for voters to do. I think for context here, I think the two parties are really wildly um, off in how they communicate the effect of this policy. The NDP will say no effect whatsoever, no negative implications on the economy at all. And then meanwhile, the UCP is saying that increasing the corporate tax rate to 11% will you know, collapse investment and basically turn Alberta into a dystopian hellscape as far as I can tell. And I think that's, you know, neither is really the right way to view it. If you nudge up the tax on corporations, then you will at the margin decrease the after-tax rate of return on investment. And that's going to, at the margin, decrease investment. And there's lots of good empirical work on this, but we need to be clear about the magnitudes, right? They're, cer they're certainly not zero. Uh, they're certainly not enormous. And the, the truth is right there in between. Uh, Shauna, just yesterday, uh, the Alberta Chambers of Commerce, uh, you know, issued a news release specifically discussing uh, this potential corporate tax increase. Can you take us into it and, and the position that the Alberta Chambers are taking on this? Yeah, I think really, you know, Trevor's comments are well taken, but we do have like these two comparative times, you know, regarding the corporate tax. And um, really, there was, you know, a loss of business investment. We saw weekly earnings going down. We saw job losses. And and yes, you know, there's macroeconomics at play there. You know, we we know that, you know, there's there's other factors at play during those times, during that eight year period. But we also know that we we're already seeing an uptick uh, in the economy prior to even the oil prices going up. So absolutely, you know, from from a, a business perspective, we want to see that eight percent tax maintained. Drew, we have we have seen, uh, and and you make this point, and and, it, and it's an important point in your piece. The, Alberta in somewhat of a unique position. Uh, its relationship, of course, with oil and gas companies, uh, and and the impact that that oil and gas has is arguably the main driver of Alberta's economy. puts puts Alberta's political parties in an interesting position. Uh, environmental and economic policy, climate policy, all is part of one bigger conversation. And of course, with a lot of people, when you start talking about the corporate tax rate, their focus is going to go on one thing or one area immediately, and that's Alberta's oil and gas sector and the impact that this might have. Can you take us into your journalism and, and some of the angles that you've been looking at this on some of the tax incentives, on some of the policies and how you think they might play out with regards to the future of Alberta's energy economy? Yeah, well, it's, it's a really interesting conversation or one that we should be having. I mean, there is so much nuance here. Um, you know, this is not this sort of, you know, oil and gas bad, environment good, let's just pick our sides and yell at each other. I mean, that's not the conversation that we need to be having here because there are, you know, up to 100,000 people that rely on the oil patch for their employment. Um, there are people around the dinner table that need this money so that they can, you know, send their kids to school and, and put food in their bellies. I mean, we can't just have this um, demonization of one side versus the other. And we really need to have these detailed conversations, especially right now, when we have so many things coming down the pipe. I mean, we're talking about taxes here. Certainly we can get into that in a second, but there are, you know, 
federal legislation that's coming down the line. I mean, the next four years are going to be critical for this province in terms of climate policies, energy policies and their impacts. Um, you know, and we've been looking at what the parties are doing in terms of those sort of tax incentives for it. And it seems that the NDP is really keen on sort of taking that route, you know, the, the tax credits to in incentivize behavior. Um, and then on a more controversial front, we've also seen, you know, the UCP, at least prior to the election, they've gone sort of quiet on it. But Danielle Smith's proposals for royalty credits to um, incentivize oil and gas companies to clean up the messes that they're leaving behind. So I think this conversation about, you know, the, the level of taxation, the sort of financial impacts, not only on the province, but on the companies and the impacts that that has on on real people working in this province and relying on it is a conversation that we're not really having in depth right now. And I think it goes back to the power of oil and gas in this province and the inability of both parties to have a nuanced view and to sort of hash it out in the middle of an election campaign. Um, you can't really talk about oil and gas um, in a way that's really helpful and win an election in Alberta, it seems, at least not yet. Yeah, Drew, you're referencing the R-Star program just so we're on the same page here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they changed the name. It's the liability something framework now but uh yeah our star is sort of what it's more colloquially known as i i want to dig into that for just a second and, and trevor and shauna will come to both of you because of course you're going to hit this from two different angles uh, but but trevor when you see a, a, a bold policy like that and i'm going to call it a controversial policy like that proposed the, the the r star program or whatever you want to call it right now what sort of an impact do we see floated policy like this actually have on the numbers in other words how does the market or how does industry respond when politicians start talking policy and then they have the benefit or maybe even the detriment of seeing how it lands with the public how do you see it so it, it really depends on the details of the policy in question and and with respect to our star there's not a lot of details there that would allow us to fully evaluate what the implications might be uh, businesses too are going to look at it in terms of the probability that the policy will both a be implemented and b how long will it last. And I think right now there's just such an incredibly high level of uncertainty on policy in so many areas that businesses are kind of in a wait and see mode, if you will. I think Drew's right to to reference a lot of the federal policy that's coming down that will probably be a much more you know uh, much more first order importance to a lot of players in that in that sector. For for our star in general, though, let, let me just note that you know we already have a system where companies bid upfront for uh, the rights to extract resources, and part of the amount that companies are willing to bid is a function of what their expectations are around costs, including costs in the future, including costs to clean up uh, messes that they make and are obliged to clean up. So we've already implicitly uh, provided compensation, if you will, for those costs, because that meant the bids are a little bit lower. And so our star, I view it in general as something where we're providing royalty credit, we may provide royalty credits to firms that have already been provided royalty credits upfront in the auction market itself. So I think on principle, it's completely inappropriate. Shauna, how do you see it from your perspective? Yeah, and I think I agree completely with what's being said here. I think uh, one of the intentions, though, from, from our lens that could potentially be 
be a, a good impact for the the business landscape would be maybe some of those smaller players would be able to get in and do some of this work in terms of some of the, the reclamation and cleanup. Uh, there is a, a, a challenge around the transferability piece. So being able to have multiple companies coming in to do some of this work and working together on it. Uh, but I mean, it's again, it's it, it's so um you know, obscure in terms of we don't really have all of the details to Trevor's comments. Drew, I want to get into some of this. If you talk about climate policy and you talk about how, and we've been, I don't know if I'd say lamenting it, but at least pointing it out that there hasn't been a, this has not been a big part of the conversation. And and I honestly, I'm really trying to hammer home to me, the iron of the irony of this is landing. I mean, you know, door knocking efforts for all the parties were interrupted in a whole bunch of jurisdictions because this, this smoke, this wildfire smoke was so bad. The air quality was so bad. And I happen to know that parents of young kids are having conversations. I know because I was part of these conversations around a soccer field where parents are wondering, is this the new normal? Is this going to be like this all the time? But still, nobody seems to be asking, well, what does the NDP say about the next 10 to 15 years? What does the UCP say about the next 10 to 15 years? But you do a great job pointing out in your piece, again, at the narwhal.ca, that there is uh, a shift to a net zero economy that both parties are addressing. As a matter of fact, though, it's only the United Conservatives that actually have it in their platform, but they talk about an aspiration, not an adamant promise. Can you take us into this one specifically, net zero? Yeah, so net zero, I mean, that is an interesting conversation, again, that we should be having. Um, one point of clarification, it's not in the UCP platform, but it is in their climate plan mm. that they released just prior to the election. Um, and, you know, that was more of a plan to make a plan. Um, it was an aspirational document. They're not putting a hard timeline on achieving net zero by 2050. Um, but they are at least addressing the issue of, you know, getting ahead of this, um, transforming the economy. Um, the, use, the NDP hasn't been explicit about it, but we know that they support uh, moves to a net zero economy. And it's really critical. Like you said, we've got this, you know, apocalyptic backdrop. I mean, I'm a father of two small children. I was having those conversations as well. Um, this is a very serious issue, not only from a sort of, you know, great human suffering and destruction of the world around us perspective, but also from a perspective of how do we actually move forward? Because these changes are coming. Um, we can see the impacts of climate change and we can see the reactions of governments and people around the world about how to address this. And that is moving towards a net zero future. Um, and if we actually want to survive and thrive, we're going to have to talk about what that actually means for this place, what policies we're going to put in place to get there, and how we're going to be able to do that while still providing a livelihood for the people that live here. Trevor, what do the numbers tell us? When we talk about things like net zero, or, or here, here's the more almost inflammatory phrase is just transition. Some folks see a real threat to Alberta's golden goose. And other people see real opportunity, real economic opportunity for individuals, for the province as well. What do the numbers tell us as, as you look into this conversation around sustainability, green energy, the future of green tech and Alberta as the energy capital of Canada? What can we see in the numbers? 
Well, a couple, a couple things. So first, any large scale change of this nature is going to have both challenges and opportunities for Alberta. I think in the, in the short term, a lot of great economic and employment opportunities are going to be tied to what's potentially very large increases in capital spending on projects like carbon capture and storage, for example. And so this is going to be a ramping up of investments in a sector that's seen pretty low investment consistently now for several years. And that might pull in some of the still displaced support activity labor, for example, that was on uh, the manufacturing side or the construction side in that sector that those jobs were shed in 2015 and 16. So an increase in investment and employment in areas that decrease the emissions intensity of the sector, that's a that's a shorter term um, economic opportunity, if you will, especially to the extent that some of those costs are going to be defrayed through federal uh, incentive programs, tax credits, things of things of that nature. Longer term, though, I think Alberta is not as dependent on oil and gas today, even as many people think it is. We're a highly diversified economy, and, and Alberta, like elsewhere, is, is a service sector-driven economy, just like every other province in the country. And so over the longer term, this transition away from oil and gas activity is not something that's a necessary, a necessarily large drag on economic activity here, where it is a big drag and where we haven't had any even just like a syllable mentioned by any of the political leaders is how we fund public services in the province, where we need a quarter of our budget to come from levies that are directly raised off of oil and gas production through the royalty system. And it's that shift that I think is much more difficult because it will require we either increase taxes or decrease spending, neither of which is going to be easy. But the longer we wait to do it, the more difficult it's going to be. And then economically addressing these longer term challenges is, I think, fundamentally a question about skills and training. And that's something where governments have a very important role to ensure that we have um, you know, post-secondary space, high quality apprenticeship programs, you know, all of the above to ensure that people that are coming on to uh, graduating high school now coming into the labor force are able to get the skills they need, regardless of what occupation or sector they go into. And I think it's that education piece that we haven't talked about either. I mean, right now, over the next 10 years, we're going to have an increase in the number of 18 to 24 year old Albertans increased by about 100,000. And we don't have the space for them. So they're a big chunk of them may go elsewhere. And that's a that's a that's an economic drag on the province if they get skills elsewhere, don't return and bring that human capital with them. Um, and so I think we need to think about it as uh, something where we need to address the revenue challenge of the province. We need to ensure that we have appropriate skills training in place. We need to recognize there are some benefits from investments to decarbonize that sector and to to have everything kind of blown up to like dialed up to 11 in terms of the the rhetoric in particular by the UCP, I got to say, as is not the most helpful approach. Shauna, is it with regards to your membership, the Alberta Chambers of, of Commerce? Obviously, I'm asking you to comment on like hundreds, if not thousands, of different businesses. So it may be a bit of a difficult assignment. But but let's talk about what Dr. Toom is pointing out there. You, you might call it casually like the brain drain, uh, although people might catch me up on a technicality. But 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 the ability or inability of a province to either attract or retain young talent. How much is that on your members' radar? How much of an issue is that, do you think, this election for Alberta's business owners? 
Oh, it's critical. So we uh, we have a tool, the the, the um, Alberta Perspectives, which is a, a data research tool. And uh, consistently, when we get feedback from our businesses through that platform, we hear kind of three things consistently. It's inflation pressures, it's talent, the talent they need, and it's supply chain. You know, that's been very consistent over the last year in terms of where the difficulties are. And so, you know, things like um, the, you know, the, the announcement of the Labor Mobility Act, uh, things like uh, looking at the career education task force that was stood up. There's several things that are happening um, in, on a, in a very positive way, but a lot more needs to happen because, you know, we, we just know that our businesses are screaming, they're crying in all sectors and all industries for the, the talent that they need to continue to, to operate and grow. We're talking to Alberta Chambers CEO Shauna Fath, economist Dr. Trevor Toom, and Drew Anderson, a journalist with the Narwhal. Uh, when we come back from this very brief break, I want to get into carbon capture tech. Uh, a lot of people are talking about the Trudeau Notley Singh Alliance, but but as Drew points out in his piece in the Narwhal, this is an example of Rachel Notley and Jugmeet Singh butting heads. I want to talk about the economic impact of this and the position that both parties are taking on carbon capture. If you're watching this live on YouTube or if you're streaming the audio on the Mixler audio app, you can be a part of this conversation by chiming in on our live chat. Or of course, you can use the hashtag RealTalkRJ. These conversations don't happen without the support of Real Talk sponsors like Athabasca University. You know, all this talk about skills training. I mean, this is exactly where you want to be if you're looking to brighten your future job prospects if you want to better your understanding of the issues and industries that are becoming more and more relevant around you there's no better time to take that undergrad degree that master's program than right now if you've been thinking about going back to school Athabasca University a great option you know they have more than 35 online master's and doctorate programs and the best part the only commute is to your device that's right, their world-class accredited online programs and courses offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You can get the process started today by visiting AthabascaU.ca. Hey, big opportunities in sustainable energy, we know that. And evidence right now with Kubi Renewable Energy, this is an Alberta company started out of the oil patch with an electrician that, well, saw where a lot of the future economic opportunity was going, Kubi Renewable Energy since has exploded into Western Canada's busiest and most reputable solar installer. Whether it's an industrial, agricultural, commercial, or residential install you're looking at, you can trust the Tesla certified team at Kubi Energy. And the best part about it right now is they head into their busiest time of year, they're hiring. At Kubi, as you can read on their Instagram post, they keep the pace fast and the beer cold. After hours, of course. If you're an electrician looking for a new opportunity, maybe an apprentice looking to get on with a great company, consider Kubi at kubienergy.ca. And also a big shout out to our friends at Apex Automation. They announced just this week, and we're thrilled for them, the opening of a new field office in the Lone Star State. Yeah, that's right. They're opening up in Houston, Texas. It's a neat story. Essentially, some of their valued team members wanted to pursue 
personal opportunities stateside. Apex didn't want to lose them, so they're keeping them on and exploring new opportunities down south. How great is that? Right now, they're hiring electrical, instrumentation, computer science, process, and mechanical engineers, plus instrument technicians and electricians. They're putting people ahead of profits. That's why they're one of Canada's fastest-growing firms. You can check them out online at apexautomation.ca. And this weekend, if you're looking to treat yourself, don't look now. But the summer blizzard treat menu is out at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. That's right, at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount. That's my home DQ. And Baseline Road, the busiest DQ in Western Canada. You'll be able to check out the returning favorites, plus this new flavor, the Caramel Fudge Cheesecake Blizzard Treat. No wonder people are excited about this one. With salted caramel truffles, Johnny, there's reason to get excited about the summer blizzards at DQ. You going to be double dillying this weekend, you think, pal? Triple. Triple dilly. (laughs) I like it. Bold move. We're helping you inform your vote with this Real Talk Roundtable as journalist Drew Anderson joins us. Uh, Of course, a a great feature writer for the Narwhal, Trevor Toome, Dr. Toome, an economist of the University of Calgary, and Shauna Feth, the CEO of the Alberta Chambers of Commerce. Drew, take us into expansion of carbon capture tech. Uh, There's not necessarily one party that's for and one party that's against as you write about it, the narwhal.ca. Yeah, this is something that Alberta is really going all in on. I mean, um, this is the, you know, sort of golden solution um, for a lot of people to, you know, maintaining the oil and gas sector while also reducing the emissions. Um, governments really seem to like this technology. They're willing to invest big dollars to try and see it move forward. Um and it's a it's it's a really sort of interesting debate. I mean, we've gotten ourselves into a position where we sort of have to make this work uh, if we want to see our emissions come down. Um, but again, there's conversations that we need to be having there. You know, some of this technology works really well. Some of it's been around for a long time. Some of it does not. Uh, some of it is going to be going through, you know, essentially an experimentation round and hoping that we can actually pull this stuff off and capture enough carbon. Um, not only that, these are really intense projects. They are very expensive. Um, they have long lifelines. They take a long time to get up and running. And we've got governments, provincial, federal, the different parties as well, really leaning into this technology and saying that this is the thing that's going to save us and bring us out of this stuff, or at least keep us going for a long time. Um, and we're not having those conversations really about you know, what that all means, whether it is worth the investment and whether we want to bake in um, sort of our dependence on oil and gas for that long, because that's really what this does as well is if it works, if it does reduce those emissions, then that changes the conversation a little bit. And maybe it does keep us, you know, pumping, drilling, mining more oil and gas uh, when we should be really thinking about what comes after that. Because, yeah, let's I I think that this is an important point that needs to be made. And I'd love to pick all three of your brains on this. But, Drew, I'll treat it as a follow up to you first. I mean, the the position that United Conservative Party has essentially said is we acknowledge, if I can paraphrase, we acknowledge the importance of reducing emissions. But that doesn't mean we're going to reduce activity in the oil and gas sector. Did, Did I summarize that accurately? Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. I mean, their climate plan that was released before the election is essentially a a plan to maintain oil and gas production in the province. Uh, 
it's sort of the similar argument that we've been hearing for years in this place where Alberta is the ethical producer. It's going to, you know, it should be the option to fill that demand um, that's going to be around for, you know, decades, depending on your on the forecast that you're working off of. But I mean, their climate plan really is about how do we reduce emissions or emissions intensity um, while maintaining uh, the oil and gas sector in this place. And CCUS is sort of the ultimate technology, the ultimate proposal for a government that wants to do that. Uh, and I think politically, that's why we see uh, the Trudeau liberals going all in on it as well, is because it allows them to look like they're actually doing something on emissions while, you know, not, you know, targeting Alberta, um, shutting down the industry. Um, and we've seen those clashes federally. I mean, um, like you said, Notley and Singh, despite their evil alliance that is, you know, purportedly happening, uh, they don't agree on this. Uh, and Notley really wants to see, you know, CCUS in the province, whereas Singh's a little bit more skeptical. Um, so there is a little bit of that debate, but all in all, I mean, it seems like governments want this. And Drew, it's interesting as well, when Rachel Notley was in power in 2015, not a big supporter, not a big fan of carbon capture, now appears to be. It's It's been a bit of a political transformation there. Absolutely. And I think it's also just the reality of the situation. I mean, we've even seen that through the IPCC reports where they say we need this stuff. I mean, you know, let's hope and pray that it works as well as we we need it to because this is really one of the only ways that we have going forward with where we are right now in the world to try and keep warming below 1.5 trevor we've got an interesting comment here from nom de plume on our live chat who says i'm so sick of hearing about carbon capture it's an industry hoax and a huge waste of money can we hit this from the numbers can you respond to that yeah, you bet. So again, like with any policy, we got to think about pros and cons and costs and benefits. And so what's a, what's the benefit of a CCUS project? It's lowering the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that are put into the atmosphere. And that comes with real environmental benefits, both in the short and, and, and longer term. Uh, interestingly, how do, how do we think about the numbers there of the benefits? Well, there's a the concept known as the social cost of carbon, which is really just a jargony way of saying we're trying to put a dollar value on the damages that a ton that we emit in Canada has. Uh, globally. And we've just recently in Canada updated those numbers and they're about 250, a little over $270 per ton. And so if you have an opportunity to avoid emitting a ton at a lower cost than that, then benefits exceed the cost. And with CCUS, I mean, depending on the sector and, and the technology, I'm not an expert there, but a lot of estimates that I've seen suggest that it's less costly than that. And so having these dollars flow through to avoid putting greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere, that benefit because avoiding $250, $270 per ton in costs, if you can do it at, at less than that, is just a, a net benefit. And then for, for the government's perspective, I think, why do we see the policies that we're seeing now to try and incentivize CCUS? Well, first, I think there's a lot of uncertainty around the future price on carbon. There's um, not a lot of support for carbon pricing by 
federal conservatives, for example. And so if you're a business that has a project that makes complete sense at a carbon tax rate of $170, but you think there's a non-trivial probability that that price is going to be eliminated later, then you won't make the necessary investments today. And so governments, if they can step in, provide some incentives or lock in future carbon prices to ensure against big policy changes, you know, that's one. And then as Drew mentioned, there's new technology. And so governments, you know, they support new technology and R&D in, in sector after sector across the board, because the knowledge we gain from experimentation is basically a public good that is available for others to use. And so I think with CCS, we we shouldn't view it as, you know, something that's bailing out an industry, we should view it as something that avoids putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and may do it at a lower cost than the damages of that emission. And so it can make a lot of sense. Shauna, here's the most obvious thing that I'm going to say today, and that is different things matter to different people when you're talking about an election. And some folks will be particularly interested in stuff like carbon capture technology or clean energy tax credits or the corporate tax rate. And others are going to go, listen, I own a small business. I own a medium-sized business. I'm just trying to grow my business. I'm just trying to keep my doors open. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to increase, you know, I'm trying to hire people on. I'm trying to... What are you hearing? What matters most to the small and medium-sized business owners, do you think, right now? What are you hearing? So it's hands down input costs, right? Like the cost of doing business is becoming, you know, a real challenge in a lot of sectors. And it's for many reasons, right? It's we've already talked about talent, but it's just input costs, you know, simply like the cost of electricity, for instance. You know, I just had a conversation with a, a brewery in central Alberta and their utility costs have now surpassed their lease costs. So when you think about that, we really need to think about um, how do we manage to make a, a real competitive environment in our province where businesses can thrive and do business? And, uh, you know, a lot of those type of inputs are just completely, they continue to uh, get higher and higher versus finding ways to, uh, you know, manage them and lower them in some cases where we, we just need to be much more competitive. It feels like, I mean, you're talking about, power, by the way, do you want to give a shout out to the brewery? We love our small businesses. We love our breweries. If you want to give them a shout out, that's cool with us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. I, if I could remember, I'm apologizing. I just oh, don't remember. The name don't, don't, don't worry. We'll, we'll give a shout out to it. But why don't we just say to the small brewers, to the craft brewers, brewers of Central yes, Alberta. All, there you go. They're doing amazing all, work. All small breweries, shout out to you. <laughs> yeah, there you and go. we know you're having some challenging times. Yeah, no kidding. And, and, and we'd, of course, love to see Alberta continue to I, if you start getting me talking about craft brewing i'll go for half an hour so i'll stop <laughs> but shawna you, you talk about power and i want to get all three of your take on this through, through your lenses and and and, and uh, trevor i'm particularly interested in what you might bring to the table on this but but shawna i want to talk to you about rate caps and i want to talk mm -hmm. to you about maybe what the public doesn't understand about them uh or, or maybe does and the the impact that they can have uh, everybody knows that you know there was deregulation under premier klein and and, and i think the general public would agree that there have been increases in utility costs. I mean, most people are feeling that pinch in the pocketbook. Rachel Notley tweeting back in January, the UCP removed the electricity rate cap. Prices are up 400% since they took office. Isn't it time we cut Albertans a break? Uh, tweeted Notley at the end of January, an Alberta NDP government will be focused on lowering your costs. Now, I asked Ms. Notley on this show whether or not she would cap electricity. She said unequivocally, 
Yes. Uh, Shana, from your angle, what's the impact on this? Take us into rate caps. I mean, people talk about the high-level stuff, but what does it mean for you know small business owners? What does it mean for the average Albertan as you understand it? Well, at the end of the day, rate caps really aren't a solution. I mean, limiting business profitability is never healthy. So when you subsidize costs, that means that ratepayers are still paying for it somewhere. So it's always that that you know debate between rate cap versus subsidy. And really, at the end of the day, the real solution for affordability is more market competition and trade. Trevor, what do we know about the impact that rate caps have or don't have? Well, I'm going to agree completely with what uh, Shauna just noted here. I mean, there are costs of providing and delivering electricity. And the question is, who bears those costs? And if we're capping electricity prices, then it's almost surely going to be taxpayers footing uh, the difference between you know what ratepayers pay and and what's necessary for the suppliers of electricity. And that what that does is create this gap between the prices that electricity consumers face and the actual costs of the service that they're that they're receiving and so having prices misaligned from the actual underlying costs is problematic in principle i think if we uh, want to think about lowering electricity prices then we need to think about lowering the cost of generating and delivering electricity. And so I'm not an expert in this market. It's an incredibly complicated one for sure, but competition, market power is a, a big one, thinking about ways of uh, addressing uh, issues like that in the in the hourly bids that uh, companies put forward when they supply electricity. But if we have affordability concerns, then it's something where we need to think about where they are uh, the greatest, you know, lower income individuals, maybe certain types of businesses that are exposed, and we can support individuals without changing prices or capping prices for everyone. I think about, you know, most recently, what have we done that $50 per month um, rebate on, on people's bills? You know, that's not something that's sustainable long run given the cost, but it's an example of a way that you can cushion the blow, if you will, from high utility costs without changing utility prices, right? It's just a lump sum of cash that appears on on people's bills. And thinking about ways of doing that in a targeted way for uh, lower income uh, or, or other individuals in certain circumstances or other businesses in a targeted way, you know, that'd be a much better use of our, I guess, um, uh, limited fiscal capacity that we have. Drew, are you surprised like when we talk about affordability, if there was a federal election happening right now, I guarantee that cost of living affordability would probably be the number one issue, at least top two. Uh, But it hasn't really been. I mean, at least in the circles that I've been privy to conversations, emails we get from people, the stuff that folks are looking to, you know, policy promises or to, to get a better understanding of of what each party's governance might look like are you surprised that stuff like car insurance increasing rates there utilities grocery costs hasn't been a bigger part of the conversation in particular from uh, leaders notley and smith yeah i think so um you know across that broad spectrum I, i i would argue that it has been more of a focus than say climate policies but again still not you know uh, substantive policy arguments that are happening. And even when there have been attempts to sort of land blows in that regard, um, we saw the attack ad. I mean, this brings it full circle to what we're talking about right now, the attack ad about transferring to a net zero grid by by 2035 that the UCP released um, 
with some really flawed numbers and some flawed reasoning about the actual economic impacts of that. But even then, um, trying to stir up anger about, you know, we're, this is going to cost, I think their number was $85 billion. Uh, please don't listen to that. And and that your utility bills were going to go up by 40%. Um, that didn't land, um, which is really surprising. And, and it's part of, you know, this strange election that we're happening or that we're having where I, I don't even know what the issue is. You know, like, I don't know if, if you were to sit back and say this election in Alberta is about blank, um, what you would put in that space other than controversy, personality, maybe trust, but, but certainly not these policy discussions and not cost of living despite the impact that it's having. This, this feels like a fun party game. Uh, and Trevor, I know you're ready to jump in, but I would love to. <laughs> I'm going to fire this assignment right back at you, right back at you, Drew, and then to the other two. And then, Trevor, you can take the con. Fill in the blanks, please. Uh, it, can be, it can be one or a few words. Drew, this Alberta election is about? Fear. Ah, Shauna? Misinformation. Oh, Trevor. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to take the average of both of those answers. Those were <laughs> okay. hard, hard to disagree. <laughs> Trevor, hard I, st- disagree. I stepped on your toes there, though. You were ready to say something. Uh, just just about maybe I could offer a theory about why cost of living is not as big an issue in the campaign as what many, myself included, and, and several pollsters you know, uh, were previously thinking that it would be. And that's because we've now for many, many months, about seven months, eight months in a row have seen the pace of price increases really get back into normal levels. So the high rate of inflation that we see, uh, that that headline rate of inflation of still over 4% is basically because of price increases that occurred a year ago and are just waiting to drop off of that calculation. And if recent trends continue, then we're back into normal inflation rates this summer. So people aren't experiencing the pace of change that we previously were. So the price pressures have already dissipated. And then combine that with very large uh, affordability measures from the Alberta government. You know, the big source of inflation is high energy prices and that cascading through to many other things. High energy prices though means significant revenues to the government of Alberta and it has used that space to provide much, much bigger supports to individuals than any other government in the country. You know, if you're a family with kids uh, with income less than 180, which is the overwhelming majority of family with kids, you're getting $100 per month per kid. If you're a senior, uh, you're also getting $100 a month. If you're someone with a utility bill, then you got $50 per month basically for the past almost year. And if you uh, drive, you are benefiting from a 13 cent suspension of the provincial gas tax. I mean, people adjusting for uh, the higher prices combined with these you know many perhaps most albertans uh, actually have higher disposable incomes uh, than they did at that same point last year so i think people are not feeling the pressures that did previously exist last year and so maybe it's just not as salient anymore I want to take a look at uh, both parties' sites here quickly, uh, Shauna, and then pitch a question over to you. I'm, I'm looking at albertandp.ca, where the party promises that Alberta will have the lowest personal taxes in Canada. Uh, they say an Alberta NDP government won't increase personal income taxes, won't introduce a provincial sales tax. 
They also promised to set the small business income tax rate to zero for more than 100,000 small businesses. Meantime, at unitedconservative.ca, people can read more about the no-tax-hike guarantee that the UCP says will ensure Albertans, job creators, and investors know that there will be no increase to income taxes. And of course, I shouldn't even say of course, but no provincial sales tax. I think I can get away with saying of course there. Shauna, yeah. are, 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 these, uh, are these policies uh, from both parties focused in the right direction? Is this what Alberta Chambers members need? Well, I think this is a matter, it's a balanced question, right? It's a matter of, how is this going to be operationalized, really? Um, at the end of the day, of course, we want we want it to be this balance between taxes versus, you know, the, the requirements that we we have in terms of running the province and being able to build all of the programs that we need to support our communities and our individuals. Um, but, you know, our members, you know, want to see that all revenue options are considered. It's not just about taxes, but what are all those revenue options to support stable budgets? And I mean, I'm not even going to get into the debate about, you know, whether or not we should have, you know, provincial sales tax, for instance, or any of those types of things, because I would just be a very uh, unliked individual in terms of it. it's, it's, there's great debate on both sides. So again, what I think we need to do is just think about the policy and what are the implications and how, again, how will it be operationalized in terms of on the ground impact to our business community and the individuals in the province? Mm. Drew, what year uh, will it be when Alberta introduces a sales tax? What year will it be? <laughs> well, I don't think we'll make it there. I think the world will burn up before we get to that point. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm laughing so I don't cry. Yeah. I can't imagine a party floating I, I, for whatever. I mean, it's just it's it's one of those things. It's just one of those things in Alberta, isn't it? I want to give each of you a, an opportunity to put another issue on our radar. Of course, when we we promise to inform folks vote someone will rightfully say you didn't even spend two minutes talking about education you didn't even spend 90 seconds talking about building new hospitals you didn't even and, and these folks would be right because there's so much ground to cover and there are mm -hmm. so many top priorities here so i want to give each of you an opportunity an assignment let's say to put another issue on our radar to, to plant a seed with the voters that are going to be listening or watching this episode before they vote drew what's one of the issues that we haven't talked about yet that you think is going to be a big one come monday and beyond um that's a tough one <laughs> you caught me off guard here but i mean if we are talking about um climate policies and we're talking about ways forward for alberta and that tie directly into the economy i think uh one interesting one that we haven't talked about is hydrogen um and how we're going to try to incentivize that the ucp is certainly you know all in on hydrogen under kenny they released the hydrogen roadmap for alberta um, they really want to push this technology again it ties into the existing oil and gas sector in the province so that they can you know move forward on emissions policies that don't have the same kind of impact on that industry um, but there's big question marks around you know uh, what we should do with that whether the the hydrogen comes from a feedstock like natural gas or whether it comes from, you know, um, is produced through renewable energy and is truly, you know, um, sort of carbon neutral. Um, these are big investments that are happening uh, or that could be happening. The federal government supports it. 
it is a path forward of agreement between the province and the federal government at this point in time. And it'll be interesting to see if those ambitions can actually, you know, uh, be made real. Shauna, what's an issue we haven't mm-hmm. tackled yet that you think people need to be paying attention to? Well, it's kind of tough. You're asking me to kind of pick a horse out of so many horses yeah. that we'd love to see. But, you know, I think maybe top of mind from the business community would be really around improving that government accountability. So really adhere to our fiscal sustainability f- framework pay down debt, reinvest in Alberta, um, align predictable funding, uh, you know, so that we can, as a business community, make informed decisions about investments, expansions, diversification, et cetera, into some of these new areas in our economy that we've been talking about this morning and uh, really make transparent any of those duplicative or hidden taxes that we have within our, our provincial purview. So I think that would be, I, I guess that will be the one I'll back today. But I mean, we also are really focused on, you know, building healthy communities. What does that look like? Growing provincial trade, so important, strengthening business competitiveness. So I, <laughs> this is the one I could probably talk on all day just through our vote prosperity platform. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that these governments need to be really paying attention to. Okay, I want to let people know, by the way, they can check out abchamber.ca if they want to learn more about what the nonpartisan Alberta Chambers of Commerce is talking about and some of the discussion that, Shauna, you and your team are driving uh, through this election campaign. Trevor, I'm very curious to know how you're going to answer this question. What's something we haven't talked about that you think is really important? Well, it's something we've touched on a little bit in terms of our uh, revenue reliance on oil and gas. But just you know, stepping back, broadly speaking, we really haven't talked about and the candidates haven't talked about how we pay the bills, how we actually fund the public services that we have. So whatever your priority area is, you're going to need to bring in dollars in order to deliver that service. And right now we have two parties, both of them, UCP and NDP, that have very closely aligned at a high level fiscal policies, both similar levels of spending, you know, similar amounts of revenue that they're bringing in, differences at the margin, of course, uh, and neither of them make any sense anymore. They're based on budget 2023 at $79 per barrel. Uh, right now, you know, both parties are putting forward plans that imply multi-billion dollar deficits this year at prices where they are right now in the low 70s. And none of them have spoken about, well, how are they going to actually address that if prices continue to be where they are now? Uh, Like, It doesn't appear to me as though the plans actually work. Uh, interestingly, the, the fiscal framework of the UCP and the budget to, you know, kind of hold the line on, on spending growth, you know, capping it at population plus inflation, not allowing for in-year spending increases. Well, the plan they put forward in the campaign has spending increases, uh, this year. It's a plan that in the framework, they have made illegal, uh, the ability of a government to run a deficit for more than three years. But now they also propose to have a referendum to change taxes. Well, what happens in year four if oil prices stay where they are now? We have to have a referendum. Like we just have all sorts of incoherent fiscal policies being put forward because no one wants to talk about why we need 25% of our budget to come from oil and gas royalties, right? And the longer we put off having that conversation, the harder 
it's going to be. And so I think we have a pretty fiscally irresponsible approach uh, to government finances in the province. And perhaps that's why we haven't heard much of it in the campaign, because no one has a way forward. Uh, Trevor, let me ask you a quick follow up. This is from Dwayne in our live chat. He says, well, what do you think is the best way to deal with volatility of oil prices? I understand this is like a multi-billion dollar question, uh, but what, <laughs> yeah. would you, what would you tell Dwayne? I think it's pretty easy. Uh, so saving resource revenues is how you eliminate the volatility. Think back to what Prentice proposed in budget 2015. Whatever you think resource revenues are going to be, take half of it. All right. Or another way would be to pick a number that you think is an almost certain amount of resource royalties that you'd bring in budget for that. And every dollar above that limit goes into the heritage fund. And there's ways of dramatically ratcheting up how much we save over the coming couple of years, um, both by ensuring that spending growth is moderate, population plus inflation is a fine anchor for that, but also bring in new revenues. And I don't mean a sales tax, although I think there's a lot of merit to broad-based consumption taxes. We have a carbon tax federally sitting there that the province could take back control of and use that revenues to save more resource revenues. That's, that'd be the equivalent of about $4 billion or so by 2025, 2026. And so right there alone, just taking back federal carbon taxes uh, back under the control of the provincial government, having spending growth restraint to population plus inflation, that would basically get you to a level of resource revenues that we need by 2026, give or take, bringing that down to about $6 billion. Uh, whereas right now we need about 18 or so. And so there, there, there's lots of creative ways forward if we were just just have that conversation. And, and I think, I mean, you, you obviously know way more about the economy than I do, Doc, but I would say even just politically, ideologically, it makes sense for both parties to take back provincial control of that carbon tax. Like, you, you can't tell me that's not a good look for Danielle Smith. And of course, that's what Rachel Notley wanted the whole time, right? They're both on the same page there in a way. Yeah, completely agree. So I think it, it makes sense for the NDP, of course, I think for obvious reasons, they brought it in. Uh, and I think it's a really effective policy to address climate change. Uh, and the UCP too, even if you don't support carbon taxes in general, who do you want controlling the revenues, Trudeau or Alberta? Yeah. Right? So that kind of rhetoric works for the UCP as well. And I was really surprised to not see it in the campaign just because it is something that works for everyone and then gives you a lot of room on the revenue side to do some creative things. Yeah. Shauna, I feel like, you know, journalists are never supposed to ask questions that we already know the answer to, right, Drew? But, 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 and I feel like I know how you're going to answer this, but I just want to hear it. Does the Alberta Chambers, I mean, obviously small, medium sized business, you know, those business owners, they want the, the fewer taxes, the better. But does the Alberta Chambers of Commerce have a specific position on an Alberta sales tax? No, we don't. It's not uh, not something that we've explored, to be honest with you. I mean, again, you know, there's there's balanced arguments on both sides of it in terms of, you know, the impacts that it would have to, you know, individuals, businesses versus, you know, the, the provincial coffers. Uh, so we have not gone into a, a, a detailed analysis on it. But what I would say, um, you know, just around the whole idea of where our revenues are coming is that we really need to think about, um, you know, how are we reducing debt? How are we balancing those budgets? Uh, you know, what is really important for us as a business community is making sure that we have sustainability and, uh, you know, 
the the ability as a province to support the social framework, but also ensure that we have a competitive environment that's not putting too much pressure on the individuals that are are making the money and the businesses that are supporting their communities. Uh, and so it's really important to you know have a fiscal framework that's going to do all of that. Uh, so I again I kind of a you know, dodged your question there, Ryan, but I think we really just need to be more paying attention to what is the fiscal framework at the end of the day? What are the the platform's fiscal frameworks that are being identified by both parties? Um, and, and really, which one is better for our province? And again, you know, we've talked about this already, not a lot of detail around that. So digging into some of that would um, really be interesting in terms of how do we vote? And I think I would say too, if ever there was a time, and I think we've said this many times before in the past, but I really do feel that please get out and vote. This is a really, really important election. So I would just say to anybody who's, you know, sitting on the fence, who's, you know, not sure where, where whether or not they're actually going to get off the couch and go vote, please vote. It's a really important election for Alberta. The next four years, you know, we're in this momentous period and the next four years are just so important to the province. Yeah, by the way, of note, uh, that get out the vote campaign is it's going to be huge, obviously, you know, for both parties to say this. I want to give some respect here to to uh, Dave Cornwallier, who's going to join us on Monday, the author of the Dave Berta political blog, pointing out uh, the election Alberta elections, Alberta report as of 830 last night, 830 Thursday night, more than 461,000 people had voted in advanced polls. Uh, the record is 700,000 and change uh, back in 2019, two more days advanced polls are open so we could see record-setting turnout in advance now what that means we don't yet know we endeavored today to focus on just the facts uh, to give a nonpartisan analysis of these two platforms and help Albertans inform their vote. And you three have delivered. Let me read this really quickly from Tracy in our live chat. He says, Chambers of Commerce are excellent organizations. Such a wealth of information there. Uh, Tracy says, this panel has been excellent and for the most part factual which is pretty darn good in these days with talk shows. <laughs> Shana Feth is the CEO of the Alberta Chambers of Commerce. Uh, it's been really great welcoming Drew Anderson to the show, a journalist with the Narwhal, and you can check out his feature, uh, the Alberta Election Guide to NDP and UCP positions on 10 key energy and environment issues at the narwhal.ca. And Dr. Trevor Toom, nobody is better at what they do than you, uh, making this stuff understandable for us common folks we really appreciate the three of your time and contribution to this panel and we wish you a wonderful weekend thanks for joining thank you thanks thank for having us thank you you can follow all three of our guests on uh, twitter of course from our official account real talk rj uh, we announce the handles of all the guests that will be joining us, and we can let you know on Monday, by the way, as mentioned, Election Day, uh, we're going to be joined by Charles Adler, of course, the titan of talk. I have a feeling he's going to have a lot to say on Election Day. Uh, guys like Chuck get really ramped up, you know, on big days like that. There's going to be a lot of energy in that conversation. <laughs> and then Dave Cordway will join us in studio. In particular, we want to get into uh, this piece. You can read it at DaveBerta.ca in advance. 19 Alberta Ridings that Dave's going to be watching closely on election day. You know, it's one thing to say, well, you know, the election will be decided in Calgary, which is, is both true and not true. The election is going to be decided in every riding, but, but some are kind of foregone conclusions while others are perceived to be more in play. 
But a lot of you, I mean, Real Talk's got a significant rural audience, and a lot of you have been saying, hey, you guys, you know, it's going to come back and bite you if you're ignoring what could happen in some of the donut communities around the urban centers, what could happen in Red Deer, what could happen in Medicine Hat, what might happen in Lethbridge, and so that's stuff that we're going to get into with Dave Cornway. That's on Election Day. That's coming up on May 29th. These conversations don't happen without the support of amazing sponsors like the family-owned business that is Eden Landscaping. You know, whatever your vision, Eden will execute it with precise attention to detail. They offer complete full-service landscaping. That means that from design to excavation all the way through to finished product, the majority of your landscaping is going to be handled by their team, but then they're going to hire whichever skilled trades or additional construction needs there might be. You're not having to go contractor mode on your own project. So whether it's edible garden boxes, maybe you're going to run a natural gas line, put your garage on a thermostat. How good would that be? Excavation, they do it. Hardscapes like paving stone, wood, concrete, tile, even beautiful steel installations. They do outdoor flooring and more. Of course, retaining walls, water features, outdoor kitchens. They're experts in it all at Eden Landscaping. You can get that conversation started today at landscapeedmonton.ca. If you're going to be doing your own design in the front and backyard, this is a great weekend to be putting the garden in. Friesen Brothers wants you to know that their garden centers are now open. And the coolest part about it, more than half the plants they sell at their garden centers are actually grown in the province of Alberta. So they're perfectly suited for Alberta weather. Even the potting soil is made right here in Alberta. You can find more information online at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N. Oh, and by the way, Sunday, May 28th is National Brisket Day. That's a holiday I can get on board with. Friesen Brothers can help you celebrate it with great savings for Alberta beef brisket and everything that goes with it on that big day. You can follow Friesen Brothers' social media, including their Instagram, to avoid missing out on National Brisket Day. And our friends at Complete Care Restoration want to remind you, though, none of us ever want to have to deal with the aftermath of a fire or a flood. They've been helping Alberta families navigate what can be an emotional and taxing process. They are the number one choice in Alberta for projects recovering from fire or flood damage, mold, asbestos removal, and of course, construction and renovation projects. That's what they did for us. The team at Complete Care Restoration understands this stuff is personal, and that's why it's a great benefit to go and operate with this family-owned business. Learn more about why you should choose Complete Care Restoration by visiting their website. You can get more information at completecarerestoration.ca or punch this number into your phone so you've got it if, heaven forbid, you ever need it, 780-454-0776. That's the team at Complete Care Restoration restoration Fridays we wrap up our week by sort of handing the mic over to you you know courtesy of our friends at local environmental services a chance to blow off a little steam to use our platform to say what you believe needs to be said these are emails real emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com it's a tradition of course you know we call trash talk 
All right, this one from Lauren, who says, Jespo, I want to thank you and Johnny for having Jordan Wilkie, the Alberta Green Party leader on the show. I didn't know much about him, to be honest, but I found him to be quite inspiring. And regarding his take on the economy, I thought he was bang on. The economy should be about people, not always just about profit. Like, I'm talking the people of Alberta, not just a few billionaires who live outside the country. We're currently jeopardizing our precious freshwater supply for the sake of an Australian coal billionaire. She says, check out the news in the Narwhal about Mine 14. And if I lived in Calgary, says Lauren, I would be outraged about the arena deal that seems mostly to benefit an old billionaire living in Switzerland. It's absurd. You know, I mean, like, I don't know. Best of luck to Jordan Wilkie, though, the green leader. Wouldn't it be something if he won a seat and held the balance of power? Can you imagine? 43 seats, 43 seats, and the Alberta <laughs> Greens in the legislature. Lauren says, you think that might be absurd? Well, it's no more absurd than what's happening right now. Thanks, Lauren. And this one from Catalina, who says, Ryan, I listened to your interview this week with former Wild Rose MLA Ian Donovan, and it, and it came off as a pleasant chat between two friends, which is fine, but for some reason, you giving voice to someone who glossed over a lot of Daniel Smith's troubling ideas made me very angry, says Catalina. Made me think about how incredibly difficult it is to criticize the conservative dynasty in Alberta without being browbeaten and bullied into saying nothing. Now, I know you're trying to feature the different perspectives, but a lot of your guests are present or former conservatives. And it may be my anxiety about the prospect of another UCP government is clouding my perception. I do appreciate Real Talk's coverage of the Alberta election, but I'm thoroughly disheartened by the lack of critical thinking that's displayed by many people who continue to support that party, says Catalina. They cling to the belief that their party are better managers of money but they're ignoring fiscal mismanagement, like $4.3 billion in corporate welfare tax cuts, $80 million on unnecessary children's cold medicine that can't even be sold in stores, $20 billion to try to get oil companies to clean up their wells, $120 million on a war room, $1.3 billion on the cancelled Keystone XL pipeline. What about Aimco losing more than $4 billion bucks through a volatility-based investment strategy at the beginning of the pandemic? You know, people on the right in this province can freely express their opinions on how they're overtaxed, or how they think that the public sector and the government are the problem while conveniently ignoring the fact that the UCP wants to allow pristine land to be mined for coal or how it's willing to give $20 billion away in royalty credits for oil companies to clean up orphan wells that they drilled and abandoned. And I haven't even started on the idea of the Alberta Pension Plan, which has been conveniently downplayed because it's so damn unpopular. Catalina says it's difficult to be a progressive in a province which staunchly supports a series of governments that have acted openly, the most vulnerable in society, you know, the people in the public sector tasked for caring for them, and then holding those in contempt. You know, doctors, teachers, social workers, nurses. Catalina says, I was a teacher back when Ralph Klein was premier. And very often I hear the phrase, I pay their salary and they get two months off in the summer. And I would hear that on right-wing talk radio. Anti-union, anti-public sector sentiments proliferated and demoralized a large group of people that were working very hard under cuts and cuts back, cutbacks. And that toxicity was given a voice under previous premiers like Klein. And it only grew with the success of conservative regimes. It reached untenable proportions under Canada and nothing in Danielle Smith's rhetoric gives me any confidence that it's set to improve. The people who teach your kids, wipe your ass in the hospital when you're sick, pick up your garbage, and try like hell to address the houseless folks who you find scary and annoying, they deserve a voice too. 
That from Catalina. Thanks for making your voice heard. You can send us your trash talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com and make sure you check out past episodes. Always wildly entertaining. Coming up Monday, it's Charles Adler, Dave Cornoyer on Election Day, and you won't want to miss our Athabasca University political panel analyzing it once the dust settles on Tuesday. In the meantime, make it a great weekend, and thanks for supporting Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.